from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first lesson this morning comes from the 78th Psalm. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise up and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Our second uh, text, in addition to the one that Rob read from Psalm 78, is also from the lectionary from the final chapter of Joshua, the 24th chapter, verses 1 through 3a and 14 uh, through 25. Uh, to set a little bit of the context, this is uh, where Joshua is giving his farewell speech to the people that he has led by God's grace into the promised land. A couple weeks ago, we we reflected on Moses and how Moses had led the people through the wilderness and had come to the precipice of the promised land, but he was not able to enter it. And it was Joshua who was given the mantle, given the task and the mandate to take the people into the promised land. Uh, and now that work, that time is done for Joshua. The people are now in the land. A new day has dawned, a new era, a new paradigm has come upon them where no longer are they in bondage, no longer are they wandering. Now they are in the place God had promised. And this is how this final exchange went. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve God in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and the gods that they served in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But let me tell you this, as for me and my household, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Then the people responded, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up 
from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. God protected us along all the way we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for God is our God. But then Joshua said back to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for God is a holy God. God is a jealous God. God will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then God will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people responded back to Joshua again. No, no, we are resolute. We will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord, that you've chosen to serve God. And they said, we are witnesses. Joshua said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and it is God we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And together they made statutes and ordinances at Shechem. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, this ancient word afresh to us today. We are longing to hear you speak. We are longing to know your presence. We are longing to know who you're calling us to be in our time, in whatever we face, in the moments that are ahead of us. So would you do just that? We come before you as one church, as one body, professing one faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that this word would help us to be more like him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, in some academic circles, there is a tradition that you may have heard of. It is called the last lecture. When a professor or instructor is asked to give a talk like this, when they're asked to give a, a last lecture speech, it is normally done in the hypothetical. They're asked, if you had one last class, if you had one uh, final group of students that were, were coming to hear you speak, hypothetically speaking, what would you want to say to them? What is it that you'd like to communicate to them in this last lecture, in this last talk? It, it's sort of akin to our Theoet experience that we have here at First Pres and in partnership with Candler School of Theology when we ask guest speakers to give the 20 minute talk of their life, no pressure. 20 minute talk of their life. And we do not give them a topic. They, they choose the topic. They choose to speak on what is most important to them, at least in that particular moment. When someone is asked in a similar way to participate in a last lecture experience, that's exactly what they're doing. They are putting their wisdom, they're putting their insight, they're putting their research, they're putting their knowledge all together to deliver 
the talk of their lives, to speak the word that they feel is most important to be heard, and doing it in such a way that gives the sense that this is the last time their students or, or their class will ever get a chance to hear them. Well, when Randy Posh was asked to participate in this tradition over a little decade ago, when he was asked by his colleagues to give a last lecture, he had no idea that this last lecture would be delivered not in the sphere of hypotheticals, but actually in real life, a real prospect. Posh was a computer science professor at, at Carnegie Mellon University. In 2007, he learned that he had terminal cancer. Right after receiving the invitation to participate in the hypothetical last lecture, he learned that this would in fact be one of his final lectures that he'd ever deliver. That particular talk, you may have seen it over the years, it went viral on the internet. It was eventually published into a book entitled The Last Lecture. And essentially, as he was making his preparation and as he delivered this final talk, he actually had his children in mind not so much his, his students or his colleagues, but he was thinking about his children. And he was telling story upon story of his childhood and lessons that he had learned along the way. Finally coming to the conclusion that you should live life to the full because you never know when your time will come. Well, like Randy Posh, the biblical character Joshua is posting his final lecture. And like Posh, it's not in the hypothetical. This really will be Joshua's final talk. It will be his final speech, his last word to the people of God. This is his terminal oration to those who he has led by God's grace into the promised land. Now, the speech actually plays out, and I tried to capture it. It's hard because there's a, a lot of words and there's a lot of back and forth in this particular text. And I wouldn't blame you if you got a little distracted and, and your mind wandered because there is a sort of a ping pong tennis effect that's happening in this, in this narrative. And it's not so much that it feels like a lecture or it's not so much that it feels like a talk or, a, or, a, or even a book. What it really feels like is what you would experience in one of those call and response kinds of churches, right? Where there's give and take between the preacher and the congregation. Now, we Presbyterians, we, we're not used to that dynamic very much, but I want you to think about that. Some of you have been in those experiences where the preacher is calling out and the congregation responds back. That's actually what's going on. Joshua is functioning in this worship experience as the preacher of the day. He's preaching, but he's also participating in a call and response experience. And so, as the people of God have already entered into the promised land, they gather for worship, and Joshua begins his sermon, and he, he reviews the history of God's people, right? He reviews the ways that God had been faithful to the line of, of Abraham and through all their days, and he, he reflects on the covenant that God made with Abraham and he calls on the people right at the outset, he calls on the people in his last lecture, his last sermon, uh, to choose service to God. He calls upon them to be loyal to God. Above everything else, to commit themselves, to recommit themselves to God and God's call upon their lives. 
he puts it in these terms. Either serve this God, or you might as well go back to serving the gods of your ancestors. You might as well go back and serve the gods that that the Egyptians served. Choose this day, he says, who you will serve. Either this God or these other false gods. And Joshua makes it clear with them, I don't know what you're gonna do, he basically says, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve God. We know the choice. We know there's a choice. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve God. But then the people, provoked by that, they they call back and they say, hey, Joshua, we're going to do that too. This is that call and response. It begins, we're going to do this too. We're going to serve God. And then they begin to mimic Joshua. They begin to recall and recount God's liberative act of of rescuing the, the people of God from the hands of the Egyptians and the bondage of slavery, the way that God led them through the wilderness. They do what Joshua does. They recount, they remember how God has been faithful in the past. But then Joshua calls back to them. And this is a little bit provocative. I think he's, uh, he's sort of participating in a, in a rhetorical provocation here, a challenge. He basically starts to talk about how much this commitment will cost and how bad it will go for them if they get it wrong. If we were thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his favorite line, the cost of discipleship, we'd be in the same ballpark of what's happening here with Joshua and the people. He's laying out for them that this is no easy commitment. This is no lip service. This is, this is actually living your covenant with your life. And he basically calls them out. And again, I think it's rhetorical. Imagine in this call and response kind of way, he says, you know what? I think you frail and fallen people can't actually do it. He's getting into their kitchen. He's getting into their face. He's, he's saying, I don't think you can actually pull this off. And then they respond, oh, yes, we can, Joshua. We can do this. We're going to commit to God. We're going to commit to serving God. We're going to be loyal to God. And in this crossroad moment, as they go back and forth in this interplay, in this crossroad moment for them, remember, it's a paradigm shift for them. Forty years they've spent wandering in the wilderness, and now they're finally home. It's a paradigm shift kind of moment. It's a future that they're receiving that's distinct from the past. The people of God are making their stand. They're saying this is who we are. We are the people of God. And as God's people, we will choose God as God has chosen us. Friends, I think there is an important pattern of faithfulness embedded in this text for those of us living in this time and in this age, in the year 2020. In so many different ways and for so many different reasons, we kind of feel like we're at a crossroads, that we are in a time of change, that we're in a time of challenge, that we're in a time of transition, that we're on the precipice of entering a new season of life, perhaps one that is filled with expectation and hope, or perhaps one that's filled, with, filled rather with, with fear and, tr- and trembling and uncertainty. And I'm not just talking about coronavirus, I'm not just talking about the election, I'm talking about all of it, the time that meets us and the way that we meet the time. 
that in all time, no matter the time, it's good and right, I think, this text is saying to us, it's good and right to number one, remember how faithful God has been in the past. That's number one. And number two, number two, it's always a good time, no matter the time, to commit yourself to God. It's always a good time, no matter the time, to commit yourself to God. There is never, ever a bad day to walk away from the idols of our life and the idols of our age and walk toward God. Every time is the right time to make that commitment and to make that covenant. I want to go back to Joshua, and I want to go back to this notion of his last lecture, his parting words, um, the ways in which he engages the people of God. One of the things that strikes me about Joshua is his uh, laser-focused choice to talk about commitment, his laser-focused choice to talk about service and loyalty to God above everything else. You know, it's not an accident that in his final speech he chooses to focus on such a thing. Now, I want to be clear about something. It's not as if Joshua was sort of a recluse or someone uh, sort of who wanted to retreat from society who just said, all you need to do is believe in God and, and sort of back away and, and don't worry about all the other choices of life. That's not what's happening here in this text. He's saying that, that this is a decision, though, that rises above all other decisions that, that we make. And I want to say something uh, as, as your pastor uh, that I think is really important. I think it's something that needs to be said, that I am 100% in line with Joshua. I'm 100% in Joshua's camp because I desire that every member of this congregation and every friend of this church and everyone who is participating in worship, who's hearing this sermon, I desire that every one of us makes a commitment to God, makes a commitment to humbly follow Jesus Christ in and for the world, that, that makes that choice. That is my genuine heartfelt desire. And my ministry as a pastor, as a theologian, as a preacher, as an institutional church leader, that, all of that is oriented toward that goal. That at the end of the day, I'm with Joshua. The most important word, the most important message is the invitation to commit your life to God. I not, only, I, I not only want to bring that challenge that, that Joshua brought, but I also want to pray for you. I know you pray for me. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I want to support you. I want to walk with you. I want to think and reason with you as to what that commitment looks like today, November the 8th, 2020, and what it looks like beyond this day. What does it mean for you and for me to choose God? What does it mean for us collectively and individually to choose to humbly follow Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. That's what it means to be part of his body. Like Joshua, I wanna say this too, I'm fully aware of the choices that, that are in front of us each and every day. 
We made choices in an election. We make choices about where we'll live. We make choices about whether we'll marry or we'll stay single or whether we should get a divorce. We make choices about which college we will apply to and where we'll attend. We make choices about whether or not to sell our house and move into a retirement community. We make choices about whether we should keep working or we should retire or should we change jobs or should we go back to school. We make choices about where to go to church. We make choices about whether or not to come back to church in person or continue to worship remotely. We're making choices in the days of coronavirus about school for our kids and our grandkids. We're making decisions about Thanksgiving and what that's gonna look like. We're making decisions about whether or not we'll see this family member or that family member, being mindful of everybody's health. And I wanna say this, all of these choices, they all matter, right? All of these choices and every choice that we make, they all matter, they all matter. They're really important. But I believe that the choice to serve God, I believe the choice to worship God, I believe the choice to be loyal to God is the ultimate choice. It's the most important question you can ask. What am I going to do with God and God's claim on my life? And, and when we seek to engage that question, when we seek to choose this day who we will serve, we realize that all of these other choices begin to fall in line with that one. And that choice to be a humble follower of Jesus Christ will actually dictate all of these other choices, will actually frame all these other choices that are in front of us. Little inside baseball here. I had written my sermon on Thursday up until this very point. I had all my notes in order. I knew where I wanted to go. And then I got completely and totally stuck. Maybe like you, you stayed up a little too late the last couple of days watching your favorite news outlet. Maybe you've been paying attention to more family, immediate family needs, things that are happening in your life, in the life of your family, decisions that you're, you're making what's happening in our world, what's happening in our personal lives. And I really got stuck. Because what I wanted to say was, this is what it all looks like, right? When we commit to Jesus, when we commit to this way of life, when we commit to humbly following Jesus Christ. And I was trying to come up with the words. I was trying to wrap it up. I was thinking about stories. I was thinking about clever little mnemonic devices that you would remember and talk about at brunch today. And I was stuck to this morning. And, and what I realized was that, that I really have not, not that much to add to what Scripture has already said about what it means to be a Christian in our time right now. That these ancient words from 2,000 years ago in the life of Christ, from the very voice of Christ, are sufficient for us to get a glimpse of what it means to follow him in this challenging time. So when I ask the question of myself, what does it mean to humbly follow Jesus Christ? I think it means this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. What does it mean to humbly follow Jesus Christ, to choose this day to follow him? I think it also means, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness and humility, with meekness and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does it mean to commit and covenant to follow Jesus Christ. Finally, I think it means this. For we were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. We were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. I don't know if there are more perfect words to hear and to take in in a time like this than these. Choose this day whom you will serve. As a church and as a people, Let us commit and say, as for me and my house, as for me and this house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.